0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I need you to come with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Acts 1 and 2. Early this week... I felt exercised to share something with you about the Holy Spirit. The title of the message today is We Need the Holy Spirit. We cannot uh, live this Christian life effectively or efficiently without the Holy Spirit doing what only He can do in us and through us. So let's just read a few verses initially here in chapter 1 of Acts. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in chapter 2, as the Spirit give them utterance. Let's just pray. Lord, this morning as we come to your infallible, inerrant Word, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things from your Word. We thank you that your word is a light onto our path. It's a lamp onto our feet. So help us today to see something of the work of your Holy Spirit. That we may be encouraged, inspired, challenged. Lord, that we may realize again the absolute necessity for the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. So we give you thanks. Open her hearts, open her eyes, open her ears, that we may see, that we may know in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The disciples had been with Jesus for just over three years during his earthly ministry. They had been eyewitnesses uh, to, uh, I suppose, the greatest miracles that has ever been seen on earth. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent the 12 out uh, to be his witnesses and to preach. <coughs> and they too saw many, many miracles. In Luke chapter 10, he then sent the 70 out. And they come back with a glowing report that even the very demons were subject unto them in his name. This, of course, was during the, the heyday during the time of popularity. But then as time went on, the tide turned against Jesus, particularly from the religious authorities. And finally they saw Jesus crucified on a Roman cross as a common criminal. Uh, And they thought that their dreams were shattered forever when he was put in a borrowed tomb. But just three days later, as he had promised... As he had distinctly told them, he rose again from the dead. And for the next 40 days, he showed himself alive by many infallible priest to hundreds of people, but particularly to his disciples again and again. And he admonished them and instructed them and encouraged them and challenged them. And now at the end of 40 days, we know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives right now to make intercession for the saints of God. Thanks, but just before he ascended to the Father, he gave the one last command that they would wait for the promise of the Father, that they would be endued with power from on high, that they would be baptized as John the Baptist had said, that they would be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. And then they would be equipped to go out and to evangelize and to carry out Christ's mission on earth for the rest of their lives. So after three years of receiving the finest teaching possible, after three years of seeing and even partaking in miraculous ministry, they were about to now to follow in the Master's footsteps. Only one thing was now necessary for them to go forward, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was about to leave them, and they would never see him again in the flesh in their lifetimes. What would they do without his physical presence? Up to this point, they had not thought much of anything about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they had Jesus physically with them. Everything they needed, they found in him. He could answer every question. He could share with them, talk with them, walk with them, teach them, inspire them, encourage them, instruct them. But what were they going to do when he left? He often warned them of that day that would come. But he told them to be encouraged because when he would go, and only if he would go, would he send the Holy Spirit one just like him only he would not be with them he would be in them and so I think that after all that the disciples had been through the previous six weeks where they had run in fear and hid themselves where Peter denied him where he was even betrayed after all of that I think that they understood that they could not go forward in Christ's mission by themselves and by their own strength. They realized how weak they were, really. But they would need something beyond themselves. They would need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if they, after three years of being with Jesus continually, if they felt the need of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit today? Now, it is true, and we we must clarify this. It is true that the moment you get born again, you received the Holy Spirit. No question about that. Romans 8 9, Without the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His. So let's make that absolutely clear. The Holy Spirit was the agent of the new birth. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. He says the wind blows where it wants to, Uh, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming or where it's going, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit that caused us to be born again in Christ, to become a new creature in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit, according to Romans 8, 16, that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit witnesses to the believer's sonship. He that believes in the Son has the witness in himself, 1 John 5.10. So what witnesses to us? The Holy Spirit in us. Galatians 4.6, And because we are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, sorry, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So let's say immediately that every believer on the face of the earth, from the moment you became born again, the Holy Spirit came into your life. Now that, of course, is speaking about salvation, the impartation of the spiritual life that we never had before. The moment you get saved, now suddenly you're a new creature in Christ. But what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is something subsequent to that, subsequent to salvation. Not really talking about the impartation of spiritual life, but the impartation of spiritual power to live the spiritual life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's an infilling, it's a baptism, if you will. It's an impartation, it's an enduement, it's an empowerment for service. And isn't it interesting that the very same disciples that was in the upper room that were filled with the Holy Spirit, that just a few days later, again in Acts chapter 4, you remember that time in Acts 4 and uh, Acts 3 how that the, the man lying at the gate, beautiful, and Peter and John passing by, uh, prayed for him and he rose up totally and completely healed. But how the The religious authorities didn't like that because it was done in Jesus' name. And so they hauled them before the religious courts and says, we forbid you ever to speak again in this name. And Peter says, well, I'm not going to listen to that. (laughs) I'm going to listen to God instead. And then they all got into another room and they prayed and the place was shaken, shaken by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the same ones. Filled again with the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, we cannot say, that's all of the Holy Spirit that I need. And even if we claim as Pentecostals to say, well, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that in a moment. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's all the Holy Spirit I need. No. Because even the ones in Pentecost, they Pentecost again and again and again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual thing. Be not drunk with excess, but be filled with The Spirit, Paul says. First 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, let me just read it. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, some believe that that and this gives rise to some confusion in this particular verse. Uh, some believe that that is referring to uh, the Spirit, whenever you receive the Spirit, when you're born again. They say, well, that's, that's actually when you were baptized in the Spirit, when you were born again. And it's similar to, and the same as the day of Pentecost, only without the tongues, and the, and the tongues of fire, and the mighty rushing wind, and so forth. And it's the same Spirit... Uh, baptism that when you get born again, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul said. He says we're all baptized by the one Spirit. We're all baptized into one body, speaking of the body of Christ. There's a big difference between the Holy Spirit baptizing believers into the body of Christ, which is an operation of the Holy Spirit, than being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is an operation of Christ. Because John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul talks about is something done by the Holy Spirit and has to do with our position in Christ. But the baptism John the Baptist talked about about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, is something done by Jesus and has to do with power for service, which is a different thing. The first baptism, the Holy Spirit is the agent, and the body of Christ to the church is that which He baptized us into. That's when you were born again from above of the Holy Spirit. But the second baptism that John talked about that Jesus would do, Jesus is the agent, and he's the one who baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit, same Jesus, but two distinct baptisms. And so, the Holy Spirit, and I haven't time to enumerate everything this morning, we've done this in the past many times, does so much for us as believers, once he baptizes us into the body of Christ, when you become part of Christ and part of his body, part of his family, then forevermore he does so much for us every single day. He seals us, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 13:14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In him also after you believed, you were sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, Ephesians 4:30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Now sealing speaks of ownership. In those days, when somebody went to purchase something, and they put a down payment or earnest it says that says the so they're still top about earnest money today for a down payment then they sealed that until they came back and paid the, the full price and claimed that as their own they sealed it, they had a seal and the seal of God in our lives that we belong to him and that one day Jesus is coming back to claim us as his own purchased possession is the seal of the Holy Spirit in your lives thank you, thank you Lord God looks down from heaven and he sees the Holy Spirit as a seal upon every one of your lives. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. <laughs> Not only a way back In Genesis was the Holy Spirit involved in creation because he he hovered over the face of the deep. But he's the one that's involved in the new creation that makes us a child of God in Christ. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 90 times and is given 18 different titles. In the New Testament, he's mentioned more than 260 times and has given 30 different names and titles. And of the 27 books in the New Testament, only two—Second and 3rd John, those little epistles, has no reference to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gets a big, big mention in the Word of God. He's the third person of the divine trinity, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Son, is God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hates strife, contention, backbiting, schism. He hates that. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, not a thing, a person, always remember the person of the Holy Spirit. Though we can't see him, but the Bible always refers to him with personality. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. He can be insulted, Hebrews 10.29. He can be lied to, Acts 5.3. He can be blasphemed, Matthew 12. He can be resisted, Acts 7. He can be tested, Acts 5. He can be vexed, Isaiah 63. He can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. The Holy Spirit is our helper He's the one called alongside to help. He's our comforter, the paracletos. He's our advocate on earth. Christ is our advocate in heaven. Holy Spirit is our advocate on earth. He's our teacher. He illuminates the word of God for us. That's how you get to know the Bible. That's how you got to know the word of God. If you did not have the Holy Spirit illuminating the word of God then it would just be a history book to you. It may be a good read, but that's all it would be. It wouldn't be life-changing. But the Holy Spirit, who's the author of this Word, Amen. He quickens it. He makes it alive to us. He speaks to us through His Word. So when you read your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit, who's the author, to reveal the Word to you, and He will do that. He's your guide. He leads us into all truth. He empowers us for service. He gives fruit. He gives gifts. He gives empowerment, endowment. He does so much more that I haven't time even to touch on this morning. But what I want to do now is to speak to you specifically about the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. We've already established that the Holy Spirit is the one who positioned us, placed us, baptized us into the body of Christ. Now let's focus on how Christ baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. The former is for position, the latter is for power. The former is for the one who is establishing us in him, the other is empowering us through him. John 1 and 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. the word power there is exousia, the right. The New King James Version, which I use, says give the right, and that's the correct meaning, the right. It means the delegated authority to call yourself a son, a daughter of God. That has been delegated to you by what Christ has done on the cross. We are legally, legally the sons and daughters of God. But then in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witness and so forth. And the word is dunamis. And dunamis is an enabling power. It's a self-generating power. Uh, It's where we get dynamite and words like dynamic and dynamo from. And so Jesus said that you would receive an enabling power through the Holy Spirit. Somebody said that the greatest promise to the world is whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life but the greatest promise to the church is you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now let's take a few moments to look what happened on the day of Pentecost. Remember that these disciples were the ones who fled when Jesus was being crucified. who denied the very Son of God, who were so frightened that they dare not show their faces. And I'm sure they were glad when Jesus told them to go into that upper room and stay there until they be endured with power from on high. And so they waited, and they waited, and they waited, not knowing how long, but Jesus says, not many days from now, but then, when the death of Pentecost was fully come, then the Holy Spirit came in great power and endued them. And so they already had received, before the upper room, before the death of Pentecost, they already had received the redemptive work of Christ. They were already born again. Jesus even had said to them before this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I don't think they just get born again on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is when they had this extra added very different empowerment and baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, subsequently they were waiting now born again love Christ wanted to live for him and serve him but subsequently now they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the promise of the father in Acts 8 and we'll come back to some of these in a moment in Acts 8 Philip the evangelist had a great revival in Samaria many were saved Many were hated. Devils were cast out. But whenever the word got back to headquarters at Jerusalem, Peter and John went down. And then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. No question that they were saved. They are really baptized in water by this time. But Peter and John comes... Heard they've been saved. Heard the wonderful things that's happened. Heard about revival and comes, praise for them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts nine, Saul is on the road to Damascus, you know it well. How he had that incredible experience with Christ. No question about it. <laughs> He got saved, born again at that moment. Ask any believer, when did Saul of Tarsus get saved? On the road to Damascus. Absolutely right. No question about that. But it was three days later when Ananias came, Ananias came and laid his hands on him and prayed that he might receive the Holy Spirit. Three days later. subsequent. To salvation. In Acts 19. There's 12 disciples that Paul met at Ephesus. And they were really believers because Paul said to them. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? These were godly men. Love God. Paul met with them. Talked with them. Then he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, if it was automatic, if this baptism was automatic, why would he ask that question? And then he says, well, we haven't even heard as much as there is a Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that again in a moment or two. Acts 2.38, Peter preaching... De Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a gift. That's something we earned or deserved or worked for or merited. It's not a reward. It's a gift a free gift imparted by Jesus. It's not to single us out as super believers and it becomes a a spiritual badge we wear to puff us up. The most charismatic of all of the churches in the New Testament was the Corinthians. It was the most problematic. They had a problem because they were puffed up. They were so enamored with tongues and gifts that they were puffed up with pride. And Paul had to chasten them with the word of God. He had to instruct them and teach them. He loved them. They were dear to him, but they were completely, completely way off beam. And he had to bring them back again and try to teach them the right way. It wasn't against tongues or gifts or anything like that. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. But he wanted to bring some order into the situation. It's a gift for every single believer without exception. It's not for the special few. It's not for the ones who are super holy. It's for every single born-again believer to receive, to enable us, to empower us, Let me talk about the thorny issue of speaking in other tongues. Because out of all of the things that we can talk about in the Holy Spirit, that is the one issue that always rises to the surface. It's the one contentious issue, speaking in other tongues. For many believers, they were taught that this is dispensational. It was for back then but it's not for now. It was to, the, it was for the inauguration of the church. It was to introduce the church to the wider world, but it's not for today. Church is well established today, so it's not for today. Is that true? Some say, well, it's been done away with. It's unnecessary now because we have the full canon of New Testament scripture the apostles are all dead we have the complete word of God so we don't need that anymore is that true because if that is true then that leaves us with the problem what of the untold millions around the world who do speak with other tongues who do believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still for today, who do believe that it hasn't passed away, well, that only leaves us with one or two or three options. Either we're delusional and it's a figment of our imagination, or else it's the devil (laughs) who's deceived us. (laughs) Or else it is true and it is something that God wants to give to us today that's not finished, that's not over. And I choose to believe the latter. I choose to believe the latter. And I choose to believe it according to the Word of God, which I'll show you in a moment. Some say, well, 1 Corinthians thirteen nine: for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And the argument is that which is perfect as come is the complete canon of Scripture. But it doesn't say that. That's what man has surmised. That's their interpretation of that. I get back to again. If it's still happening today, then we've got a problem. You have got to decide: Is this real? Is this demonic or is this God? (laughs) I believe it's God. Even our understanding of the Bible is not perfect. I know the Bible is perfect, but our understanding of it isn't perfect. If it was, we wouldn't have many theological arguments as we do have today. But one day, when Christ returns... One day when he reigns and rules again over this earth, then that which is perfect will have come. And that which is in part will be done away. Be unnecessary then, but necessary now. Some say that on the day of Pentecost, God gave these 120 the ability to speak in foreign languages so that they could evangelize that great and varied multitude. But is that really true? So let's go back again to Acts 2. And let's dip in a little here in Acts 2. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. This was the great feast of Pentecost, and they had come for several days to be there for this great feast. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Look, look, Are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Perithians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're drunk. They're full of new wine. Speaking foreign language is not a sign of drunkenness, it's a sign of intelligence, for a start. But... We mustn't stop there. We must read on in a second. They're in the upper room. 120 Galileans. Not linguists, not clever people. Not taught other languages. The only language they could speak was Aramaic, which was the common language of the Jews in that day. But suddenly, they're speaking the language of about 14 different nationalities, including those from Judea. So, so some of them in the 120 in the upper room, some of them must have been praising God in their native tongue for the ones outside from Judea understood that. But the others, the Parthians, the Medes, and so forth, they couldn't understand that, but they could understand what they were hearing because it was in their language. And it was as if God rang a big bell... And there was such a sound. And you can imagine they were not whispering this. They didn't know what they were saying, for the most of them didn't know what they were saying. They'd never learned any of these languages, but they were opening up and they were praising God for his wonderful works. Now, they're not preaching at this point. They're just praising God for his wonderful works. And a great crowd came together and gathered together And we're completely confused. What is going on? We know they're Galileans. What's happening here? But Peter, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and those of you who dwell in Jerusalem. Now he's not speaking in foreign languages now, because there's 14 different nationalities addressing And he doesn't have any interpreter. And he's not speaking in 14 different languages. The only language he knows that has been taught is Aramic. That's what he's speaking in to the men of Judea and Jerusalem. Be it known unto you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is the only the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel: It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy; your young men shall see visions; your old men shall dream dreams. And on my manservants servants and on my maidservants servants, I will pour out my spirit. In those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. This hasn't happened yet, this part. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall cause upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. So in the upper room, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and suddenly... They began to speak in these languages which they had never learned. And the people outside ran together and heard them praising God for the wonderful works of God. But then Peter stabs, and he comes out to them and dresses the crowd in his own native tongue. Because if this was the case that the Holy Spirit, in order for us to evangelize the world, would give us the ability to speak in foreign languages we'd never learn then every missionary in the world wouldn't have to learn languages they could just say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to preach to these Indians today, just give me whatever language Indians speak what is it, Clarence? You have no idea and everyone would do that but we don't Because that's not what it was meant for. Now, in saying that, there have been the odd occasion, and it is the exception to the rule, where somebody has actually been able to do that momentarily. But that's the exception to the rule, because we can't put God in a box, He can do whatever He wants. But generally, by and large, that just does not happen. And Clifford and I go to the Ukraine. They've learned a few Russian words. In southern Ukraine, they speak Russian. But it wonder be wonderful when we get up to preach, Clifford, if the Holy Spirit would just come upon us and we didn't have to learn mean, That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? It's never happened yet. They so, say, well, maybe you never asked for that to happen. No, it doesn't happen. That's not what it's about. And so we see here on the day of Pentecost what was happening. (coughs) Five times in the book of Acts. Five times. When the Holy Spirit was poured out and came upon. Either explicitly or implicitly implicitly they're explicit or implicit, they spoke in other tongues. We saw that explicitly in Acts chapter 2. Come with me to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip's having the great revival in Samaria. Verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he, he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God.' And they hated him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when, they, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So is there any question that they're saved? No, I don't think so. Then Simon himself was also, also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were saved, they were baptized. But they hadn't experienced this outpouring, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now It doesn't say there that at that moment people began to speak in other tongues. But what is implied here? Listen. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What in the world must have got his attention at that point? He'd seen miracles, he'd seen demons being cast out, he'd heard them screaming as they come out, he'd seen the lame walk, he'd seen mighty changes, he'd been baptised and people being baptised. All of that was wonderful, he was astonished at that, but what must have happened here that really got his attention, that he saw and he heard that made him want this power? Could it be that it was speaking in other tongues? In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus we mentioned earlier. And how that after that conversion on the road to Damascus, and then how that the Lord spoke to Ananias. And then eventually Ananias said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll do what you said. Verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you in the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized, obviously, in water. You say, well, it doesn't say he spoke in other tongues there. That's true. But at some point he must have. <laughs> and I reckon it must have been pretty shortly after that, because he said, I speak in tongues more than you all, you Corinthians. You Corinthians, you think you know all about speaking tongues. I speak in tongues more than a whole lot of you put together. So when do you think that happened? Subsequent to his salvation, when he received the Holy Spirit in that measure. In Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius and how that remember God gave that vision to Peter of the great sheet with all those things it was unlawful for a Jew to eat arise arise, Peter slay and eat and how that those men came to the door and he knew it was a a leading of God to go and to, uh, to minister to Cornelius at his home which was a big thing for any Jew to do to go into any Gentile home And then it goes on down to say. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God uh, shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. "'That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea "'and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, "'how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit "'and with power he went about doing good "'and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, "'for God was with him. "'We are witnesses of all these things "'which both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, "'whom they killed by hanging on a tree, "'him who God raised up on the third day "'and showed him openly.' not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that this is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And that through to him, that all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. For while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So that's explicit. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? This is years after Pentecost. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And then in Acts 19... And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. They said to him, to what baptism were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. This was probably 26 years later. We're talking here now. So they said into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when, he, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They'd only been baptized in, under John's baptism. Now they're being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied now the men were about twelve in all now some say well the speaking in tongues business well that was for the introduction of the church to the Jews in the day of Pentecost and it was for the ethnic group the Samaritans in Acts 8 and here it is in Acts 10 at the house of Cornelius for the Gentiles But what are we going to do with Acts 19? What are we going to do with 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 to the people at Corinth? What are we going to do with the untold millions around the world today who has received this baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't believe it was just for yesterday. I believe it's for today as it was for yesterday. As I was preparing this message this morning, and there's tons more we could say and probably need to say and should say, because sometimes when you curtail something, it presents more questions than answers, so I understand that. But there's much more we could and should say and probably will say. But as I was preparing this message, what I had planned to do, Thursday night is our traditional prayer meeting. And in my mind, what I had planned to do was, instead of our usual prayer meeting, was to invite anyone and everyone who wanted to receive this baptism or to receive another infilling. Or to ask for the Lord to fill us again with the Holy Spirit to come on Thursday night. And we would worship and we would pray. And perhaps lay hands on, although nobody laid hands on the death of Pentecost, and nobody laid hands on the house of Cornelius. So, Paul did on a couple of occasions, but regardless of that, to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit Amen. for service. But then I looked at my diary yesterday. Good job I did. And I discovered that I'm actually speaking up the shank on Thursday night. And it's unusual because rarely ever was a prayer meeting. But it just so happened. So what I propose to do is that on Tuesday night, rather than our home group, on Tuesday night, for whoever, whether you ever go to a home group or a prayer meeting or whatever, but you come here and you want to receive more or a fresh touch, or a baptism, or an infilling, whatever terminology you want to use, then Tuesday night here will come and we'll praise and we'll worship and we'll pray and we'll seek God and we will wait upon the Lord and ask Him to do it in our lives. How does that sound? Is that all right? Whether there's five of these, whether there's 50 of these, it doesn't make a difference to me. Whoever will may come. It's open for all. You say, well, Tuesday night's not a good night for me. Well, if you really want to, rearrange. How hungry are we? Listen, I'm the preacher. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of his power. I need fresh infillings. fillings. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually, all the time. I need that. I understand that. I sense the need of that. And I think that God is encouraging. (laughs) Encouraging us to ask his son, who is the baptizer, on Tuesday night, and it's just us here, everyone who's hungry, who's thirsty, to come and let's seek him together. Amen. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord, we need the freshness of your spirit. We need your mighty touch in our lives. Lord, these are days that we're living in that are dangerous. Days, Lord, whenever the enemy is bringing darkness across our land. Lord, help us as the lights in a dark place to shine brighter. Give us all the power that we need to be effective. For your kingdom. Lord, we admit we are a long way from being what you want us to be. We haven't arrived in any sense of the word, we're on a journey. But Lord, would you help us as we come together, touch us with your Holy Spirit cause us to come alive and to be agents for good in our community, in our land, in our day. This is our time. It's our generation. We're never going to live in another day and another time in another generation. We've only got one shot at this. Lord, help us to do it for your glory. We're going to break bread together here. And as we always say, if you know and you love the Lord and He's your Savior, then we want you to join us at this table today. What a tremendous price Jesus paid to save us. We could never, ever understand it. We can only receive it and accept it. Lord, we have no idea why you loved us so. We just thank you that you did. That you made this way for us to come into the presence of your Father. Thank you that we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you that the old account has been settled. Thank you, Lord, that you made us fit for your heaven. Thank you that you gave us of your righteousness and you saved us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk